0: Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sreka Thanendra Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less-than-transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside. Because learning from other authors, editors, and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. Today's episode is with Valerie Brandis, someone that I knew I wanted to speak to ever since I launched the podcast. Valerie is publisher, founder, and CEO of Jacaranda Books, dedicated to promoting and celebrating brilliant, diverse literature. Her mindset, tenacity, and risk-taking are well-known in the industry, and that is what has led to a lot of success. In a predominantly white, middle-class industry, Jacaranda stands tall as a pioneer of inclusive-minded publishing, holding an enviable list of award-winning titles and bestsellers. Jacaranda Books' ethos is simple a commitment to publishing groundbreaking writing with a dedication to creating space on the bookshelf for diverse ideas and diverse writers. We talk about how and why Valerie started Jacaranda, how Jacaranda differs from the Big Five, and the importance of diversity led initiatives like 2020 an unprecedented initiative to publish 20 titles by 20 black British writers in a single year. That same year, Jacaranda also co-launched the Inclusive Indies campaign as a response to the impact of COVID-19 on other independent publishers, raising over £100,000 that was shared with 12 other independent small presses. Valerie is a joy to listen to. I'm grateful for the time she took out of a very busy period for Jacaranda and herself in order for us to sit together. We did have some technical issues and as a further sign of her persistence, we got there in the end. I hope you hear and revel in the joy and wisdom from a woman who has taken risks and forged a path that she didn't have waiting for her. She took things into her own hands, and thank God, because we have Jack and we have Valerie as part of this industry to enact and inspire change. Hi, Valerie. Welcome to Make It Make Sense.
1: Hi. Good morning, Sareka. Am I um, saying your name as well?
0: It's Sareka, but um, I'm used to both uh thank you for making time for the recording today i know you're extremely busy and there's lots of exciting things happening for yourself and for Aranda at the moment so i do really appreciate this um for those that don't know jacaranda is an independent publishing house that focuses on diverse books and authors and it's a force that i'm genuinely energized by when i compare to a lot of pain points um occurring within the current publishing landscape and fundamentally though because of the richness and range in the list that Jacaranda seems to offer. I feel like these are the books my son and his generation are gonna grow up to read and access. And I really feel grateful that along with the traditional publishing houses that Jacaranda is offering books with a diversity of voices as its main focus. Um, I wanted to start by asking you a question I ask all my guests, which is what did you wanna be when you were younger?
1: So, I mean, I had lots of things that I think I wanted to be, but the one that stood out the most was I wanted to be a solicitor. And so in the UK, it's a solicitor. Uh-huh. In, in America, it's a lawyer. Yes.
0: Um,
1: and the reason for that is I'm the second youngest of 11 children.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: I came, so you're looking at sort of a decade span of like childbearing yeah. on my mom's part. And so I am one of the younger ones who were in a new decade, so mm-hmm. I grew up very gobby, as we say in the UK, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and quite headstrong and very stubborn and very, in my mum's opinion, argumentative, because my mum <laughs> is a very old school Caribbean woman mm-hmm. who... No is no, and question the word why does not exist in her, you know, lexicon. <laughs> yes. And here I come along, you know, questioning everything. Why? 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 Why do I have to? Why do I have to? Mm. And she said to me, "You, when you hold a point, you never let it go. You know, you need to go and study law. You need to go yeah. and do So she kind of put it,
0: yeah,
1: dripped it into my head that oh, I might have you know some kind of um, ability there. But um, I think that what the reality of the life is that we were very, you know, working class family. Um, my mum and dad were, you know, my mum was a domestic. My dad was a, like, basically a labourer.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, even though, you know, you, they definitely kept us in a situation where we had a house that my dad used to pay off on the Encyclopaedia Brit- Britannica So we used to get these, uh, you know, every once in a while, these huge books come through and I would just literally like spend hours just like going from one page to the next, you know, one page is a spiny fish, the next page is, you know, a poem. And just really like sort of just fell into that. And I also we went to a local Church of England school from the age of five. So Mm -hmm. we used to have like religious assembly every morning. um, And we used to have that you were building up to being able to go to church when you turned 11 and did your Holy Communion. And I was really caught up in the hymns and the sort of language of the hymns. Mm. And so it was that kind of word um, environment, really, that, you know, kind of I found myself in. Like, I was really happy there.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: uh, but there was no uh, path to anything.
2: Mm-hmm. and
1: um, there was no outside of that. You know, they did the very best that they could. You know, my mum is mm. my best friend and hero. She's 97 years old this year. Aww. But um, there was no pouring into us in the sense of, oh, you yeah. must study this, and you must yes. go there, and you must speak to that person. None of that going on, you know. Mm. So I, f- I had that kind of a dream, sort of a dream, but the reality is that I really kind of floundered for a very long time. I mean, mm. for a very, very long time time I ended up getting um a job in the civil service uh one of these quangos where they it was one of the um research councils
0: mm-hmm. um
1: this was the economic and social research, research council social science at the time and it was just a clerical position but I got that job and I, I was working in a department called postgraduate training and I was working with people who had degrees and they were doing Mm -hmm. postgraduate training and doing these research projects all over the world and Mm. it blew my mind I was just like wait a minute somebody's (laughs) like gonna pay you to go and study in Borneo you know like what is this so really that's really and I mean by then you know I was in sort of my early 20s you know done really not Mm. much prior to that Um, But that kind of was just a spark of like, gosh, I really want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to leave the country. So I'm saying all this now, you know, many years hence, but at the time, there's really not that much of a thought process happening either. Mm. You're just kind of like aware that, oh, there's something that's intriguing to me here. (laughs) Yes, And so I'm going to follow it, you know, Mm. but there's not really that. But I feel that training, that sort of mental training that you get when you've got parents that say what to do, when to do, how to do. Mm. I just didn't have it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I did. I I saw this uh, course at the University of Exeter. It was American and Commonwealth Arts. Um, and uh, you know I really wanted to study at the University of the West Indies I thought well, I'd leave the UK and I'd go to study there and the one thing I did have going for me all this time was I did have a good brain and even <laughs> though there was no one pouring into that brain I was you know Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I love to read I love movies you mm-hmm. know I love really sort of Um, esoteric things, I loved art I didn't know what I knew or I didn't know what I didn't know either Mm -hmm. Um, I just knew what I was attracted to you know, like, you know, sort of quite edgy things, interesting films, um, Mm -hmm. and then definitely great, you know, fiction um, and a little bit non-fiction but not very much English literature, to be fair, like all Mm -hmm. the people that I read were American authors you know, I mean, like Kurt Von Gert and Mm. um, Saul Bellow and, you know, sort of big male writers and then um, later on in sort of the 80s when uh, Virago mm. paid people like that and women's press started publishing black writers mm-hmm. then I discovered it. you know the world just blew up Toni Morrison mm. and Paula Marshall and Tony K Bambara and all these amazing voices so I did that was kind of the training if you like for my brain for when mm. I went um, to university and got into this course, the second black person in 20 years on mm. this course for American and Commonwealth Arts. But it was fantastic. It was a sort of a uh, continuation of things I loved. You know, we looked at the, the history, the sociology, some cases the pathology of, you know, music, painting, mm-hmm. art and literature as it pertained to America and the Commonwealth, which at the time, you know, they, that was Australia, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, Africa and the Caribbean. So, yeah. yeah so well, I don't know if that answered the question, but
0: <laughs> no, it, d- <laughs> it did, and uh, yeah. gave us more. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's also interesting that when you don't have parents that speak into you, and sometimes when you have parents that speak into you, very uh, singularly, even that saying yes. you should just do one thing, it's kind of the same um, trip that your brain goes on, in the sense that you do seek external inspiration i guess and that's why it's so important what we're putting out there in terms of content of film tv and books and things that people can access in that sense why that becomes so important so yeah yeah, so true really interesting um then can we talk about your beginnings in publishing and and Mm -hmm. how you got into it and what the industry looked like at the time that you entered
1: yeah so, I mean, again, like one of the things that I was always picked out for from a very early age was my writing ability. So mm-hmm. I remember being like five years old and like like zooming through all of the sort of English comprehension box sets that they had in the classroom, you know, yeah. and things like that. And then I, um, so I, but like I say, I did flounder for quite a long time. But then when I went to Exeter University and my lecturers on that course, uh, so they didn't have any connections with the Caribbean, but they did have five places in America. Uh, mm-hmm. New Mexico, New uh, Louisiana was two other places. And then the rest were uh, the California uh, college system. So UC mm-hmm. schools in California. And uh, my best friend was going to Berkeley. I'd never heard of it, but I was like, I want to go to Berkeley because she's going to Berkeley. (laughs) (laughs) And then they said, no, you're going to Santa Cruz. (laughs) Which I'm like, I definitely haven't heard of that place. (laughs) But that's where they sent me. Uh, So I ended up at um, University of California, Santa Cruz, which is in Mm -hmm. Northern California, across the bay from San Francisco. And um, the first day of school, I met my husband. Mm -hmm. we were there together for the whole year and then I left came back to the UK and finished my degree and Mm. then went back to live there so Mm. at that time they it was still kind of this a little bit wishy-washy like I kind of knew I, I needed to do something but I didn't really know what that's the truth of it. But I was writing. So at that point we were moved, mm-hmm. we had moved to San Diego, and I became involved in the San Diego Writers uh, Circle, a woman called Judy Reeves. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote a short story, my first thing I ever wrote, and it got public. it won a first prize in the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wrote another piece, a nonfiction piece, um, about basically about my mom growing up in the UK, and that got selected for a magazine called Zizaba. Which mm-hmm. was a literary magazine for uh, California, and it was the last word in the dictionary or something like. That. So um. how Junker selected me? Um, and so then I was just like, oh, you know, maybe I'm going to be a writer, you know, mm-hmm. which I always had aspirations to, and I was getting all of this um, kind of reinforcement on it, but it felt a bit too soon and a bit too big, mm. and I got scared basically, mm-hmm. and so I backed off of that and ended up then just. I became a bookseller at Barnes & Noble and, and I had children. So, you know, I was like in the in the children's department at Barnes & Noble, basically paying them because <laughs> <laughs> I was buying all the books, you know, for my kids. Setting your library <laughs> and, up. Yeah, exactly. I got some amazing <laughs> books as well. Um, and then uh, when my daughter was in middle school, I felt like it was really important when she was about to start that they understood my life, my family, where mm-hmm. I came from, mm-hmm. and that it was important for us to come back to the States. And so to, sorry, to, to the, the UK, UK.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and, um, you know, some other sort of things were going on. But eventually I just I did. I just moved everybody kind of, you know, I think when I think about it, I just put them all on my back and <laughs> away we went, you know. <laughs> And we landed in London and it was really, really hard to get school placements. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was really, really hard. Um, And then I realised that actually I really needed a job. And Mm. so I uh, looked around and I saw the closest university to me at the time was City University. And they had two courses, Mm -hmm. one an MFA in um, Creative, in Fiction and another an MA in Publishing Studies. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, what's what's more likely to get me an income? So I took the wow. Publishing Studies Masters.
0: <laughs> yeah, wow. So it was a real yeah. fork in the road moment. If there's just- that,
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, Amazing. absolutely. I think about that all the time. Like, yeah. what could I, you know, because had I not done that course, which was kind of like a, you know, it was almost like an M- a publishing MBA in a way. Yeah. Definitely kind of taught us about... Um, The world of publishing and sort of, you know, the the, the structure of it, which I think is still quite a mystery to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, even within the industry sometimes, but it was a very much a really good, strong foundation. Mm -hmm. And so from that course, where lots of industry heads would come in and speak to the class, I met Andrew Franklin, who is MD at um, Profile Books. Mm -hmm. And at the time, so this is like 2009, 2010. Um, they were looking for an office manager role to fill. And I didn't want it because I was like, mm. I know that job. Like, I don't <laughs> want to do that job. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for the toilet paper and the yes. photocopier machine. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, the advice I was given at the time, which I think was true, was like, if anybody offers you a job in publishing, take it. And I definitely wasn't in a position to be pickier. You know, I was mm-hmm. 47, 48 years old, had two small children mm. and I was just like, well, I've got to, I've just got to go for it. So mm. I did it, and I lasted a year, which was great. <laughs> you know, and I love profile to this day. You yeah. know, some of my closest friends and Andrew are considered just a, just a fantastic, wonderful human being. And mm. I really have a lot of respect for him. Um, and so uh, th- that was a really positive experience, and they're just they're publishing, their whole business is just incredible. Mm. Um, but uh after that year, I was just like, okay, it's make or break. And I'm kind of like this sort of person where, you know, once I, it's a bit like me going off to this job and then thinking, no, I want to go to university. Like, I don't really know mm. why, but I'm going to do this. Same thing. Like, I, I know I can't get a job. Like, I'm not, mm. I, you know, I'm older. They know, I'm. It's just not going to work for me. So I'm mm. going to have to do this myself. Now, mm. when I think about that now, I think, you idiot. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> But, like, crazy, like, honestly, yeah. because yeah. the extent of what I did not know is of shocking course. to me right
0: now. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's that's part of what is required of people like yourself who um, take a risk is also part of that is not fully knowing what you're jumping mm-hmm. into because I think if you did know, you maybe wouldn't have taken that step. But um, 100%. <laughs>
1: Yeah no you're spot on because I, I think about that all the time yeah. I absolutely wouldn't have you know because yeah. that's how the mind works as well like the mm. mind's there to protect you from, so if you don't know then why not take the risk. Yeah. So yeah so uh, I started Jacaranda in 2000 well I the idea you know that so it's yeah. January 5th or whatever that first Monday of, of 2012 was and mm. um, when you go back to work after the Christmas holiday but I don't have work to go back to I'm in my flat in London with my kids and I don't have anything Mm -hmm. I have nothing I have a computer Mm -hmm. and I have a logo which um Pete Dyer who's the art director at Profile just made for me like really just run it off and I was just like great this is amazing he's like are you serious I'm like yes and it's been our it's been our logo ever since yeah it's a great Um, logo and that's It's (laughs) it's, <laughs> it's perfect, isn't it? You yeah, know, it I mean, I had people doing, like, flowers and trees and all yeah. sorts. He of, just nailed it. Yeah. Um, and so then I was just, like, just, oh, just going by heart, really, more than anything else. And mm. obviously, I knew I needed to learn. Like, that's what I did know. I had a big learning curve, but I knew I needed to learn stuff. So you just can't sit in the house and, and learn, mm. <laughs> You know, learn that way. So I would go out to events, and I knew... Mm. My process was at the time, I'm going to just try this thing, right? So that's something else I think Mm -hmm. is really important. Maybe we can, you know, swing back around to this. But the idea that it's not so much giving yourself an out, but -hmm. you're not overly attached to any outcome. Like Mm -hmm. if it works, if it doesn't work, Mm -hmm. it all has to be okay. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of proceed, you know? So that's kind of where I was with it. I was like, I'm going to try this. I will publish one. At the time, I thought I wanted to do illustrated fiction. I definitely did not and should not have done, (laughs) but I did. And so one illustrated fiction book and one, non, and one fiction. And my, mm-hmm. the idea behind that would, was that it would give me the sort of breadth of understanding of all the different mm. publishing processes. Mm. So um, I, did, I went to an event in London and I was trying to go around to different events as much as possible and talk to many people and just put myself out there, which is not very, I mean, I, don't, I don't, probably don't sound like it on the call, but I am not that person. Like I'm not actually the person to sort of jump in a room and start talking to people like that's not me. So I really pushed myself to do Mm. that. And I went to this event called Black Book Swap, which used to be run by a woman called Trisha Warrell. And it was just this great event where she'd have like a panel of authors, all black authors, and then people would bring books that they wanted, that they'd read, that they loved, that they want to share, and then you'd be able to swap books with people and, Mm -hmm. oh, I would be meaning to read this one. So it was just Mm. a fantastic book event, just in total. It was so great. And um, one of the um, panellists at the time was a young woman called Jacqueline Shaw at the time. She's since been married, Jacqueline Brown, who um, self-published her dissertation. And her dissertation was looking at um, Africa as a base for sustainable manufacturing and production of fashion Mm. and Mm -hmm. so she looked at all of the different ways in which this is challenged, all of the opportunities that it presents on the continent and then she looked at all these designers who'd gone there like a breadth of designers you know Mm. people from Italy and France and within the continent as well you know so it was really Mm. just a fantastic like broad Look, mm-hmm. and um, so what I needed to do was make it a little bit more accessible to the reader. Mm. So we kind of changed the format a bit. But mm. you know, I, I'm so proud of it as our first book. But if I had to do it again, I would do it completely differently. Um, and so, but that was the first book, and we had 40 African or uh, designers based or using the continent to produce their work mm-hmm. um, in that book. And um, and then we published uh, a book called Glass by. Um, uh, um, an academic turned writer called Patrick Wilmot. And those okay. were the t- first two books. And I took those two books to the London Book Fair.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: and I and I bought a, a shelf. I don't even know what I was thinking. Like when I think wow. about it now, it's just <laughs> hilarious. Like, what on earth? And I had like a shelf where normally publishers, you know, will have like, you know, they 50 titles. Yeah. Yeah. I had my one, <laughs> one book times 50. Like I had one cup.
0: like multiple copies of the one book that I'd actually published out there.
1: I I I mean, that's that's
0: so impressive as well, though, to hear that you know that those publishers have um, multiple books that they're taking to the fair and you have this book and you've just still filled your shelves and you're standing there just as um, confident, I hope, or I guess that... Yeah, yeah whatever you're doing in that moment is the right thing to do?
1: Because, because what, the thing at the end of the day that we really have to understand when you think about the way the world has developed and the way the world has structured. So this mm. year is our 10-year anniversary
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, we are part of this. Uh, the bookseller has what they call the Black Issue, which mm. they bring out, I think it's quarterly, and they focus on all the activities and excellence of black people in publishing in Britain. Mm-hmm. um but so I, i'm on there on one on the, one of the covers hmm. but above my cover which i've just written for our website is a tagline at the heart of publishing since 1858 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what always is at the heart of anything that i try to do, is that the odds are ridiculous. Mm
2: -hmm. Why
1: not go there with my one book against the 50? (laughs) You know, I've got centuries to catch up on here. (laughs) So, you know, in a way, like, it it can be a very heavy burden to carry, but also it's actually quite... It's definitely a motivator, but it's sort of a place to rest as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, well, yeah. I'm just gonna go here, you know? Yeah. So, so that's what I did. And then um was able to get a distribution deal that that mm. uh, that book fair, which I also knew we needed that. Mm-hmm. Um and that's basically was it was it. You know, after that, yeah. um I met uh, Jasmine Brary, who oh my god, would be great on your podcast as well, I'm sure. Okay. Who started? she was, I'd met her at um, Profile mm-hmm. when I was working there and she came in as an intern and she was a publicist, uh, you know, a young mm-hmm. black Muslim girl, really, really super smart, really outgoing, really popular, nice personality and just super smart and devoted to the world of publishing, like just absolutely devoted mm. to do it. And um, I just saw her once and I was walking down the street and I said, oh, Jazz, hi. She's like, hi. I said, oh, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm just, you know, between jobs at the moment. I said, oh, I'm starting Someone. a publishing house. She want to join me. She's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she came on board. And that year, because um, as I told you, I met my husband in the States. So we, yeah. have, we come back, especially when the kids were younger, we travel back you know, yearly. Mm-hmm. And um that year I was going and that year the cane prize was happening in London. So mm. I Jazz, you know, go on behalf of Jackaranda. Mm. And then when she came back from the Kane Prize, we had six six more books that we were publishing.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow.
1: And that's yeah, and amazing. it just never stopped. I just think that um what what we had identified or like what I had identified very clearly was this mm. desperate need for books and about black readers and, mm. and at the time there just wasn't anything and the, but the, we have these spurts don't we so mm. I experienced it in the 80s when houses like Virago and Women's Press and those were the two main ones that I remember buying all their books when they came out and mm. they were publishing all the black American authors like all of them and I bought mm. every single one um so I was like well there's got to be you know that's what we're lacking, so that's where we have to sit. You know that's the mm-hmm. role we have to, space we have to occupy. And this time now, we were really lucky, I think, to also be able to be positioned to be available for writers from the continent, like African, mm. you know, fiction and nonfiction. Which at the time, you know, when we would go to um, Africa, rights used to be um, on at the British Library. Mm -hmm. And often it would be on the continent that you were getting within the culture some of the Mm. most sort of like edgy and and just pushing against all of the sort of like traditional kind of ways of thinking and being. Mm -hmm. That's what was happening amongst young Africans on the culture, whether it be gender identity Mm. or, you know, sort of women's roles or any of those ideas. You'd have Mm. these groups in Uganda and, you know, all around the continent really doing exciting things, you know. So, Mm. and for us at Jacaranda at the time as well, to sort of think about what we were talking about when we talk about what it is to be Black, you know, because we Mm. obviously, you know, this is a construct as we very well know, but also we don't own (laughs) whatever that definition is, like, because it can't be one thing. And for me, you know, um, I am not going to sit here and deny the fact that, you know, I'm sort of like erring on the side of a bit bougie when I want to be. And... (laughs) Definitely wanting to kind of sort of not so kind of demystify and open up Mm. the idea of what it means. If because it had there had to be, you could have your high literary fiction, which we have had for a long time and which is Mm. you know the sort of fundamental basis of you know so much black writing around the world. Um and then sort of yardy, you know, <laughs> you know, mm, yeah. sort of your gangs and your baby mothers. And I'm just like, like, there's got to be something else in between, you know, like, mm. and one of the big areas is obviously romance and the idea, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, black people actually love each other and, and want to be loved by one another and what that looks like in a, yeah. in a book form, you know. And um, we did a small crime uh, series as well, but mainly um, looking at romance and looking at science fiction. We have some amazing, mm-hmm. like, um, science fiction books or books that just kind of push the envelope in terms of culture and mm. um, so so that's really where we positioned ourselves to sort of, books that I love to look at, look, love to read
2: mm-hmm.
1: that are driving culture that are relevant to the world as it is today that I don't deny you know, so one of our biggest books has been this very literary novel mm-hmm. um, a novel called *Loat* by mm-hmm. um, von Ridehold which has been mm-hmm. a prize winner and selling you know, everybody wants to read that book and it's literary fiction. It's mm-hmm. finest, you know. Mm. But at the same time, we do have more, more quote unquote, commercial books as well. Mm-hmm. And we, it's because we were there. We were in that space and nobody else wanted to be there, which is yeah. and, and partially because of this whole kind of feedback loop that happens when you don't have anybody else in the room that doesn't look like you or yeah. isn't questioning you is that you start to reinforce these ideas of, oh, well, there's no readership over there mm-hmm. or there's no money to be made over there or the standard isn't high, you know, the quality of the writing isn't like, all of this stuff, you know? Mm. And and whilst that's happening over there, Jack Aranda was just, you know, really nicely positioned to, because we knew that wasn't the truth, of course, to
0: mm-hmm.
1: go there and, and see all these works and speak with all these authors and facilitate that publishing process for them.
0: Yeah, I think that's what's so encouraging and refreshing for me um, when I came across Jacaranda because having guests on the podcast and speaking to authors and editors, this has been spoken about a lot, about how um, the majority of books by non-white authors are often politicised rather than just presented as a romance or a crime novel Mm -hmm. and that whether the – Maybe the bigger houses don't have enough people in those rooms in order to just take it for the face value that it is and that Jacaranda can just do that because that's essentially in your ethos. What I wanted to ask was, or, say was that the house is quite entrepreneurial in spirit. You ran the 20 in 20 publishing initiative where you published 20 titles by 20 black British writers. And this year you're publishing a nonfiction book series that focuses on various aspects of black British culture. Um, I wondered if you could tell us the importance of these initiatives to you, to your authors, to the readers, but also especially to the industry at large, because as we spoke about just then, Uh, what Jacaranda is able to do is not always replicated in all other uh, publishing houses.
1: Exactly that. And I think that, especially with the 20 in 2020, that idea was directly to sort of address the industry head on and to say that, you know, it's not enough to constantly be complaining about, not complaining, but you'd get a lot of these articles about, you know, sort of, what are we going to do about the lack of mm. diversity in publishing mm-hmm. houses? But then that would be the extent of it, would be the mm. article. And then I found myself, as, as uh, along with many, many other Black people within the industry, mm. being asked to show up, to be on panels and to be on events, to talk about the problem. Mm. But it's still the problem, like nothing's mm-hmm. changing. So that was just the direct amongst some other things, but it was a direct sort of uh, rebuttal to mm-hmm. the idea that all that we can do is, talk, is complain about it and we can do nothing about it.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you
1: know, it was, it, was a, it was a little bit of sort of like marketing play, if you like. It just mm-hmm. happened to be... Well, but actually, no, I shouldn't be flippant about it because it was actually a bit deeper than that in the sense that two years prior to 2020, you know, I was in a position where I had one of those dark, you know, times when you're in business, when I just felt like, what am I doing this for? You know, like I mm. really felt mm. um, that it just wasn't getting anywhere and I wasn't, it wasn't accomplishing. The, even though I had accomplished many things and many of the books already have been um, attracting, you know, awards and long lists mm. and short lists. And, you know, there was a lot of things, really positive things happening, but I just felt like the ways in which the business wanted, I needed the business to grow wasn't happening. And mm. um, I just thought, again without any sort of attachment to any outcome but just like the idea being that this will be it that i'll uh-huh. i'll do this thing that i know is very very important for the industry mm. and for our business and you know let the chips fall where they may so mm. within that moment i was like well we will publish 20 black british writers in 2020 we'll mm. look at five poets five uh ten fiction and five non-fiction Mm-hmm. And we put out a call, you know, at the beginning of 2018 for submissions. We closed the submissions at, by the end of the year. And you, we got like, you know, just under, maybe about 100. But mm. most of them were like bad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then at the beginning of 2019, we had our 20.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, Mags, who'd been at Bloomsbury and had joined us from Bloomsbury, she uh, called her contact at The Guardian Mm -hmm. And um, put it out and said, whoever gets back to us first, you know, they'll Mm -hmm. get the story. And we thought it would just be like a simple story going out. But um, Alison at the Guardian got back to us and then it became, you know, like a proper, you know, online story about Mm -hmm. the 20 in 2020 and what we were doing. And it went viral. I think it had like four and a half thousand shares that day Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And it just, the idea just really captured everyone's imagination at the gate. Mm-hmm. And that was a year prior to even publish it, publication. But it was mm-hmm. just that. It was just to say, you know, we're tiny, we're a tiny press. Mm-hmm. And if we can find 20 amazing authors yeah. to publish, yeah. then you guys are no excuse. Yeah. And you can't keep relying on the one or two big names. You can't mm-hmm. keep you can't keep being this sort of unicorn status for black writers, like mm. and then everything else in between falters. And it really was trying to counter this notion that, you know. Unless it's high literary fiction or unless mm. it's a big name, the books won't do anything, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so and and again, not knowing that prior, obviously, you had no idea what was going to happen. And mm. I definitely had some naysayers at the beginning, and people not understanding, and mm. you know, people saying to me, "Well, who are you going to publish? You know, your brother, your sister, you know, that kind of thing." So wow. it was um, it was that's,
0: definitely a that's terrible yeah. response to no, to I such know. an initiative. <laughs>
1: Well, at the time, you know, I think it was, yeah, it's like with everything else, hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So, 20 I mean, so at the time it's easy to be critical of something that you don't think will work or you don't believe in or you don't really fully un- even understand. And remember, mm-hmm. we're talking about the situation in publishing where you've got this, this sort of, like, room, if you like, this sort of symbolic room of people that all look alike and all think mm-hmm. alike. Mm -hmm. and they don't understand anything outside of what they're thinking. Therefore, you know, they've just kind of like stuck themselves into this room. Mm -hmm. And here we are outside the room saying, but hey, there's a party over here. You know, (laughs) (laughs) there's all these things happening, you know. And so it's just trying to get people to sort of come on board.
2: Yeah. So
1: that uh, after that announcement, I mean, it just took off like crazy. And I think just we, that was the sort of first kind of um, sense of, uh, not so much exoneration, I guess, but just kind of like it was a cosign, you know what I mean? It was like mm. people saying, yeah, yeah, you know, we really get it. We get it yeah. now, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was great.
0: And, I mean, is that you've said a lot of things there, but one thing that I wanted to come back to, um, I mean, I want to come back to a lot of things, but I don't think we can have time. <laughs> but one thing I want to know in your perspective then is, because it, it, by what you're saying, Jackaranda is able to do all of these things and to, you know, wave from outside that room and mm-hmm. say, hey, look what we can do and, and you can also do that. If it's still not happening, we're in 2022, if it's still not happening to the same extent within the other publishing houses, then is the solution, because as a writer, I think um, maybe a little cynically at times that mm-hmm. that is what, is happening that you see all these articles, and it's great that it's being um, looked into. And there's the right sort of people. The bookseller does great uh, essays and articles uh, to really shine a light on what the industry is like at the moment. And as a writer, when you look in on it, you do wonder: then is that actually then moving on to impact change? So, mm. from your perspective in 2022, mm. having you know done these initiatives and um, published all the titles that you have, do you think then that it is something that can change in traditional publishing or is it that we need independent publishing houses to come along and say we're going to make it a part of our ethos and this is going to be what we publish from the get-go can it is there a balance and you know we move Mm -hmm. away from the kind of unicorn authors as you said before yeah
1: I mean I so want to be like optimistic about Mm. that question honestly because you know then if the answer's no, then it's just you know
0: complete, yeah uh, <laughs> it's a
1: disaster, isn't it yeah, really? yeah. but um but the reality is it's really difficult because those big house, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of the things that we're talking about, right? We're tiny, mm-hmm. and we can therefore be um, very risk-taking, if mm-hmm. you like, is how the language they will use it. But remember, I'm a black woman, so this is not a risk for me. This is home, mm. mm-hmm. so I'm not trying to, like, you know, do anything other than what's actually coming natural to me. Mm-hmm. And obviously, which is not very natural when you look at the makeup of some of these house- houses yeah. to them. But they also the challenges for them. You know, like if you think about the size and the scale of what we're talking about, mm. really. Well, I guess in that, in that, in that ways, it, that's how and. Sh- it, that's exactly how it should change and why mm-hmm. we should always try and hold them accountable. Mm. Sorry, my mind just went all over the place. Cause I was thinking, but they, the, the unwillingness to change is from all of the excuses that I make about, mm-hmm. you know, their publishing. It's a business. And they have to make sure that they, you know, they, they sort of like, you know, meet their margins and their profit mm. margins and all the rest of it. But then we just had this recent um, article in the Bookseller, or I think it was in the Bookseller, that talked about the sort of level of unhappiness amongst
2: mm. people
1: working in publishing. Mm-hmm. And from that, um, Bloomsbury announced that it was hiring 100 new members of staff.
2: Mm.
1: 100 new members of staff. Mm. So are you really going to tell me that <laughs> yeah. after everything has gone on, you're going to hu- hire 100 white people? Do you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> what it comes down to. And if they do then there's nothing's going to change. Like, Mm. it just won't, like, it's not possible. Um, But if they don't, then that's where the change begins by, Mm. you know, having multiple, many, many, many people working within that environment on every level. Mm. So on on the decision-making levels, most Mm -hmm. of all, so that when you're in those editorial meetings and you've got somebody pitching a book, you know, or not just one book is the goal either, isn't it? So mm. multiple books by multiple writers from different backgrounds, that there's somebody or many somebody's within that structure mm. with decision-making ability to say yes. Yeah. Because you can have many editors coming up the line with great ideas about great books and mm-hmm. have that be just knocked back by, you know, the sales director or the marketing director or Usually the most powerful people actually outside of the editorial team. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you're back to square one because they're just going to do what they know how to do, mm-hmm. and they know the margins and they know how much money they're gonna make. And 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 then they have the real issues, you know, of being able to pay for people and pay for buildings yeah. and pay for books and all that. So it's a quite, you know, it's um it's a difficult one. Um, mm-hmm. and then so what happens with somebody like Arthur Jacaranda who we just put it out there that that's really the space we want to occupy because we mm-hmm. see the value in it, and I've pushed and pushed and pushed in so many ways. And I've been very fortunate to be able to kind of enter into the mainstream with like with this partnership with Hachette, but not be off the mainstream, mm. um, so that we can still occupy that space. But what we don't want to have happen is then we're the only ones that it, it, mm. you know ostensibly are seen to be doing it. And Mm -hmm. then all of the big houses, you can actually afford to do it. um, Take their, you know, take their um, off the gas, and just decide, or we'll just let that jack around and get on with it. And then, of course, we we can't publish everybody, so then people don't get published. So So, it's really complicated. Sorry.
0: No, no. Uh, So to flip that around, because you explained a little bit of how the or how important it is that the right people or or a diverse range of people are in the decision-making process. How does it work Mm -hmm. differently than in Jacaranda so that it could be mirrored or, you know, to to have an example of how it could be mirrored?
1: Well, I think they do try, you know. So Mm -hmm. some of the big houses have started these imprints um, Mm -hmm. that sort of ostensibly start to focus on, what we're now calling diversity, right? Yeah. yeah? yeah. So, um, and then quickly that becomes diversity of gender, diversity mm. of class, diversity you know, uh, diversity of um, able-bodiedism, and so it becomes broader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we're what we're able to do at Jacaranda, because we are who we are. We're a team of mainly black women that run this company,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and uh, we're natural in that place. Uh, we're able to kind of just directly deal with, like, what we see as the, the sort of, um, the the hole, if you like. Mm-hmm. We can feel that mm-hmm. hole much more naturally.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and what, just because of who we are, the decision-making mm-hmm. process, because we're smaller as well, mm-hmm. <clears throat> has a much shorter, you know, sort of like um, runway in the sense mm-hmm. that... Uh, I, you know, I will look at most of the acquisitions that I've actually acquired these books. I look for them, I read them, I love them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I work with a small editorial team who also will either I'll send them things to read or Mm -hmm. occasionally I'll send them things to read. But we're always thinking, like you said before, about the bigger sort of trying to do these sort of publishing moments. And the reason why we try to do that is because there's so much work to be done.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: that's the other side of it. It's like, you know, we we publish twenty books, but a big house will publish four,
2: mm. you know, books by mm.
1: non-white authors. Mm-hmm. You know, and they they'll feel they'll feel like their work is done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we're trying to address the issue, but also show them that you can do more. Yeah. Um. But do it. Do it to a standard, right? You have to do it to a standard because exactly. then. I, I think that's the other side of it. Is like, you know, you hear some some of these stories of books that are getting published, and you're just like, "Well, they're doing it to fill a quota, mm-hmm. rather than to fill a, to to actually do it to a standard."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think the um, the quitting on series, which Magdalene Abrahar, she that's her brainchild. That's from her mm-hmm. baby. She came with that, developing that list of Jackaranda,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, is another great example of that where the standard is so high, like yeah it's a quick thing on but there's a there's research going into it mm. there's a exchange of ideas going into these stories so, because we are always conscious of the fact that at, at our press we also have to represent that level of excellence and quality or we don't get a, we don't get the opportunity to just be mediocre you know all <laughs> day long like we just mm. can't do that so yeah, yeah the the process it's very difficult to compare because Mm. i think it's it's almost impossible for people to understand the scale in publishing it's almost like there's um a three-tier system so you've got the big five publishers at the top, and they're you're talking multi-billion and million-pound mm. companies, like they're mm. huge with literally thousands of staff, right? So they're enormous. Mm-hmm. And then you have the sort of middle band, which is all the high performing independents, you know, like the publishers in the independent alliance, Faber, Canongate, Profile, mm-hmm. Seven Tale. One World, all these amazing presses, mm. their turnovers are anywhere between 10 and 20 million maybe, they're mm. considered small, right, compared mm. to big wow. presses uh, <clears throat> and then you have <clears throat> and then you have the bottom <laughs> some people might call us the bottom feeder. <laughs> disgusting, but we're here you know. We're, and we're actually not the bottom feeders at all because mm. if anything they feed on us they prey on mm-hmm. us, they'll come and snatch our big authors out of us <laughs> And we're Mm. doing all of this sort of R&D for the industry all the time. But yeah, it's these tiny presses, micro presses, one or two people. Jacaranda, we're about 10 at the moment. So we've got a lot of people on board. Our Mm -hmm. turnover, minuscule, 300,000 this year. We're hoping Mm. for about Mm 500,000. So tiny, tiny, tiny in comparison, Um, which is also why what we've managed to accomplish is so extraordinary because... Mm. You know, in in terms of just resources and capital
2: mm.
1: capacity, it's just no, <laughs> it's not doable. Like, if you yeah. really think about it, it's not doable, yeah. and we're doing it. And they have so much more. I mean, they yeah. I've heard of these ridiculous amounts being given for advances, mm-hmm. for untruth debut debut books, almost as if, like, you know, it's a budget shortfall, or, or, or we've got this extra money within the budget, <laughs> let's just throw it. You know, mm. to that degree, mm. and it just blows my mind. So when you when you talk about our process and how we've acquired our authors or mm. how our editorial process works, you know, the fundamentals are there, but essentially there's almost no comparison because yeah. you just it's just a completely different scale of of operation, completely mm. different scale.
0: Okay, understand. You said that um, you can't afford to be mediocre, which is mm-hmm. uh, such a great uh, point to kind of observe because I can imagine that that would also put a lot of pressure on you yourself as the founder of Jacaranda. How do you kind of ride that? How do you, um, that, that that must feel like pressure from the moment you started to where you are now 10 years on. How do you Absolutely. manage that?
1: Yeah, very, very, very difficultly. Yeah. (laughs) Like, with great difficulty because, yeah, there's an awful lot of pressure going for Mm. me in terms of, like, just sticking my neck out, you know, and, like, starting this business uh, in an industry where I really didn't know anyone, not too many people, and it, it was not just the mainstream white publishing, but it was just everyone, like black people as well, who were mm. just like, who the hell do you think you are? You know, go sit back down, <laughs> you know, and, and really there's a lot of that going on internally. You know, you sort of think, yeah. who am I to ask my family to do all this for me? Who am I to ask mm. these people to give me, do you know what I mean? You're constantly questioning that. Mm-hmm. um and then there's the authors that you take on board and you want to do right by them mm. and I think in many ways we should sort of over deliver and then that sets the standard and then people are like well why are you not doing more you know and it's like <laughs> you do you not win. just realize what we did <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you not just understand yeah. so and there's always that but but that kind of um challenge to what we're doing is something that we sort of given ourselves because we want to be held to a standard that people Mm -hmm. can feel proud of like i want jacaranda authors to be like yes i'm published Mm -hmm. by jacaranda and i'm proud to be published by jacaranda Mm -hmm. just because of the way we are like penguin doesn't have to think about that penguin Mm -hmm. can be like do whatever they want all day Mm -hmm. long pump out books on Katie Price or whoever else <laughs> they want to all day long. Mm-hmm. And they will still be regarded as Penguin, you know, the sure. great. Yeah. Yeah. We're 10 years old, you know, we're mm. trying to build in so much cultural capital, so much history, so yeah. much, you know, just within the bones of us growing as a business. And therefore we can't afford to, you know, we can't afford to uh, just do whatever we want to do, anyhow we want to do it, we have to sort of mm. set the standard and, and keep to it, and we are human, and mm. there's an awful lot to be done, and you don't always get it right, you know, we just don't, and there's some people that won't be proud to be Jack and Randall authors, and I have to accept that, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I know that with everything that we do, we set out with this high standard that we mm. want to to meet for the people who decided to throw their lot in with us and that's how I see it with the authors like I respect them for mm. coming to Jackaranda as much as I know what I want to do for them mm. and and if anything I just need to like learn how to not do so much for, them, <laughs> for yeah. some of them because like you just have to ma- I hate that phrase I really hate it but you have to manage. You have to learn to manage expectations,
0: because <laughs> it's a good phrase, because, though. As much yeah, as it think it's, a very good <laughs> it's
1: true. It's really true. I yeah. realise that, you know. Yeah. So, but I'm open to learning. And I think, like I said to you, you know, I've got this this line above my head, you know, and then, yeah. and the, this date of 1858, you know, and. Paper mm-hmm. has been around for 100 years and other publishers have been around for 20, 30, 50 years. You know, that's the, that's the kind of long game that we're trying to play at Jack Brander. Yeah. And, you know, the stakes are high because if you look at the statistics, you know, in terms of like most businesses, how long they last, they fail within one to yeah. three to five years. Those businesses survive, you know, how many mm-hmm. of them are black owned, how many of them have more than five people working for them? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to founders, you know, how many men are black? How many are women? Mm-hmm. And then we don't even need to go into, the, you know, the, the, all of the sort of depressing statistics about who gets what, you know, who gets funding mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. black women consistently are at the bottom of the funding pile, you know, consistently. Mm-hmm. Everyone will tell you, oh, well, you know, black women, I mean, they just don't get any money from like venture capital you know it's like mm, so you're mm. telling me they're all racist then that's what it, you know, like what what is that yeah. conversation that we're just so happy and easy to have and remember that i'm trying to build a business like everybody else that's all mm-hmm. i'm trying to do i don't have any other way of doing it other than the way that it's been done by mm. traditionally white well-connected wealthy men you know and so mm-hmm. uh, that's the challenge day in day out mm.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, for everything that you hope to achieve from Mm -hmm. looking from the outside in, it seems like you have done that because I just look at your list and it's such a, I've said it before, but it's such a rich and varied list and I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful that there's houses like Jacaranda. Um, And as you said before, you recently celebrated 10 years of Jacaranda with a feature and a cover in the bookseller. I'm assuming the answer is yes to this, but I still want to ask yeah. if you've surpassed what you expected for its first 10 years.
1: I mean, I didn't have, honestly, I didn't have this expectation because yeah. here we are 10 years in
2: yeah.
1: multiple award-winning company. Yeah. You know, we're a, a small press that's actually been wrecked by a very big house, so mm. that gives us a, a much more leverage in so many ways. And yeah, just having these great sort of movements of publishing and thinking about sort of going beyond. So the idea of going to America, I guess, was always at the back of my mind just because mm-hmm. of the sort of like history I have with the country. But but I couldn't have envisaged this, like, you know, small press of mm-hmm. the year. You want it. You do want it. But like I said, especially understanding the industry and how it works, I did not see how I was going to get there, you know, Mm. because there's so many ways in which you can't do it without funding. You know, you can't, you're not going to sell your way into success when you're starting out from scratch, like unless, you know, you've got, you know, the next pair of Spanx or something, Mm. (laughs) you know, I think, Mm. I think she was able to do that just by selling, but, uh, and beauty products definitely work better than books, but um, (laughs) it's been very difficult. So, I think that uh, what I've always been clear about um, and what I'm really proud about and what I think we have accomplished is being able to create and hold a space for Black writers and writers of colour.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: that's, uh, that's been our ethos from the day from day one
2: mm. and
1: it's been the thing that we've done the best and it's the thing that we'll always continue to do. Like, that's the natural thing. And mm-hmm. then everything else sort of comes from that. And that's no small feat in, in and mm. of itself yeah. because of, you know, what we've just talked about in terms of how the industry operates.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and we want to be able to grow and expand so that we are of a size that can really make a difference for, mm-hmm. I mean, we do for authors, but on a much bigger scale for authors so that we mm-hmm. can publish hundreds of you know, black and brown voices and mm. not just 20, you know, and mm. that would be us, that would be us, you know, when we're publishing 150, 200 books a year, or whatever that number would be to make us that kind of publishing mm. house, those are going to be black and brown writers, you know, so that's yeah. really the most exciting thing for me.
0: That's great. And you, I read that you're expanding to the US. Can we speak about that decision and what impact you hope it'll have all around?
1: Yeah, so of course, you know, like I said, my husband is American, okay. <laughs> so I've been coming back and forth all the time. Um, but some of our strongest titles have been African American authors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were able to publish um, Bernice Elmer Fadden, her 11th and 12th novels, I believe, mm-hmm. um, both of which were huge award winners and um, just fantastic books. She's an amazing modern genius woman writer mm. mm-hmm. um she's you know he, we have no more Toni Morrison but we do have M- Denise McFadden we, mm-hmm. she's incredible mm. um and we were also early on we were able to publish um the Trayvon Martin story you know um mm. Rest in Power mm-hmm. uh, which was written by Trayvon's parents um mm. Tracy Martin and Sabrina Fulton so we were the UK publishers for that book um and I think that was, you know, at the time, this was sort of 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were, like, some of my highest, like, in terms of, like, how I was feeling about what I was trying to do,
2: mm-hmm. my
1: proudest um, acquisitions. Because I know, especially when Trayvon, Trayvon's book came out, the way the world was, especially for Black people in the mm-hmm. UK,
2: mm-hmm.
1: nobody else was publishing anything like this. We did have... After that, I think it came a little bit after we got um, Rennie Edo-Lodge's brilliant book. Mm. But prior to that, there was not a a lot happening and people were writing to me and telling me, thank God you published this book, you know, Mm. especially at that time. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. hatred on Twitter and all this stuff that was happening in the world, Mm. which is really important for us to be in that space, to occupy that space.
2: Mm. And
1: I think that it's just always quite astonishing to me and it shouldn't really be. But just how kind of limited the publishing world is in the U- in the US. Like mm-hmm. it's such a. I mean, it's wor- in some ways it's worse than in the UK in terms of it being very insular and okay. very inward looking and mm-hmm. very risk averse. That phrase and you know it's very white
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and they do kind of sort of respond to that. But these environments aren't places that people. In, necessarily want to gravitate to when you start mm-hmm. to think about all the other things that you want about your job all the other things that are important to you when you set yourself up to go sit somewhere for eight hours a day mm. it's it's more than you just being in the room do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you have to have all these other things and um, many of these houses are just failing people in that regard
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I just think that they in terms of the kind of books that we publish and the stories that we look for in the U.S. we you know there's so much more to be done. There's so many mm. more books to be published. Um and we definitely want to be part of that story. So it's a very exciting time for us. Yeah. And I think we're looking towards um, you know, especially somebody like Mags, who's just young and bright and just full of ideas and mm. energy and and sort of passion for publishing,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: to sort of situate her as like somebody that would really facilitate a conversation between her American counterparts as well to sort of Mm. really develop the publishing so we're doing it very slowly I mean it's an enormous obviously um place and market to start to think about Mm -hmm. um approaching and we wanted to get it right you know so we're doing it slowly but we're really excited about what the potential
0: that is that is exciting I wanted to ask about your team and Mm -hmm. um what is important for you for people that come onto your team Um, and what you look for for the people that represent the house internally?
1: Right. That's such a great question. Mm -hmm. So I've always been about the team, though, because nothing happens just in isolation. Mm -hmm. You can't just do all this stuff by yourself. I do tend to look for people who kind of are... Well, oh, they're passionate about books, obviously, and reading mm. and a little bit nerdy. <laughs> but also happy to be part of a team, happy to mm. understand that when you're part of a team, that means shouldering a lot more than when you're just by yourself. Mm-hmm. Over the, I'm, what I mean by that is like, over the course of the 10 years, you know, there've been people that come to Jacaranda, like Max, who come in and very clear about what they're seeing. Like, mm. it's a very small press, they don't have a lot of resources, I have this huge idea, I know it will work here, you know, and mm-hmm. I want it to work here, so let me make it work here, and mm-hmm. she does. And then you have other people that come in who, they come with a title, and sort of, my sort of visual of it is, you know, you come in in the morning, you put your bag under the table, you sidle up to the computer, you sit there all day, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the day, you leave. Mm-hmm. Like, that person, there's no place for you at mm-hmm. because You just can't be siloed in a role, Jack jacaranda Mm -hmm. like that, you know, behind a title. Um, We just need you to do more. But then there's the other side of it, which is also the the place that we want to occupy for young people who want to work in publishing, Mm. who might not necessarily fit the mould. Or, you know, like I just said, want to be in an environment, especially for their first couple of years at work, where they feel supported. You know, whether Mm -hmm. that's in their racial identity, religious identity, class Mm -hmm. identity. And we definitely strive towards that. So we also have young team members uh, who are first, second jobbers, some have never worked before, Mm -hmm. very bright, need a lot of training, need a lot of attention, a lot of effort. Um, But in the long run, I think it will pay off because, you know, even if they don't stay at Jacaranda, Mm -hmm. they have now an inroad into the industry. They can go Mm. and work elsewhere, having had that training. Mm -hmm. So we kind of occupy all of these um, sort of spheres within our publishing. Mm. And, um, And I try to always create an atmosphere. Interesting, actually, because you know, a lot of the team started post-2020, you know, or halfway through 2020. Mm -hmm. So we have been um, remote as a team Mm -hmm. for the past, you know, two years, three years. So a lot of the kind of team building that you'd normally have happening Mm -hmm. within the office and laying down the ethos, you know, I definitely try to keep it more open, definitely transparent with everything that we do so everybody knows what's going on and Mm -hmm. a little bit more kind of, less hierarchical I've learned that that you you have to have hierarchies I've learned that whether I want to be or not I am the boss
0: (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) that's an um, important lesson to learn
1: oh hello (laughs) amongst so many of them (laughs) yeah but um but also just trying to create that environment positive work Mm. environment because you're there for such a long time Mm
2: -hmm. and you
1: know we've all been in those toxic offices where if it's not the office environment there's like one or two people that just come to work and show out and it makes Mm. life miserable for everybody else mm. so just really trying to create an environment where people feel safe you know mm. and I think for the most part we do that and if there's ever an issue that, uh, that might not be the case it's usually that, that bag under the table person that's coming come on board and kind of wants to you know disrupt they want to be a disruptor they have poison yeah. the well and then you just have to get them out you know yeah. and level again you know so,
0: yeah
1: yeah
0: mm it sounds like a great place to work um i hope so (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure it is i mean it's you can see your ethos running right through how you talk and how you envision the success of the imprint uh, the publishing house so you can you really i could imagine that people that feel safe and come to jacaranda wanting to learn as well that's so important to you know come young and fresh but eager to learn and
1: to be able to do
0: that is um is really lucky for a lot of people that wouldn't have that opportunity um i have a few more questions i'm trying to keep it short because i don't want i know it also ties people out to just keep talking but um, (laughs) uh, i had one question about um As we spoke about, you have an enviable list of award-winning and best-selling authors, and I watched an interview with you and Joy Francis, I think it was. Oh,
2: Joy, yes. (laughs)
0: Um, And you spoke about in the early days of Jacaranda, you sought out authors, met them, and that part of the process was just as important as the story and yeah. now I assume you more readily receive manuscripts via agents. I'm curious to know how that changes things and what you look mm. for now in the stories and authors that you choose to represent. Do you always know, especially if you don't meet them beforehand, is there something mm. that's always going to draw your interest?
1: Yeah, this is interesting because actually from the beginning, we've always worked with agents. So we've always mm. had that. Oh, okay. And even with the, the 20 books that we published in 2020, we, I met every single one of the authors.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's the beginning and the end of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So we do a mix of everything. We really do. And I always, even if I'm going to buy from an agent, I always do have a meeting with the author.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it just really helps, I think, to get a sense of, because you're going down this journey with them. Yeah. Like now, once you've signed the book, There was the editorial process, Mm -hmm. the publicity, marketing process. Um, And, you know, things happen. You know, sometimes it's smooth sailing and it couldn't have gone better and it's all wonderful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, the wheels fall off, you know. And it's important to at least know there's a real person that you're dealing with, you know. I think Mm. that's really important. So it hasn't really changed, to be honest. Like, Mm -hmm. like, from the very beginning, yes, I was meeting the authors, uh, but I still am. Okay. And from the very beginning, we we were dealing with agents, like really from mm-hmm. the start. Jacaranda, um, one of our first books that we bought from an uh, agency in Germany, I
0: believe. Okay. And then
1: we just started from there. So yeah,
0: mm-hmm. a
1: little bit of both.
0: Okay. Um... And I also have a question from a fellow writer, Jess George, um, Mm -hmm. who loves Jacaranda and what they do. And she had Mm -hmm. asked how readers can support books from houses like Jacaranda because presumably the big five have much bigger buying power, more imprints and more marketing spend. So readers are able to see Um, the books more widely whether it's in bookshops and displays or on social media or or billboards whatever it is how Mm -hmm. how do readers support books from jacaranda or even smaller presses because I'm assuming that people I mean going by how I pick a book it's either by recommendation or by you know something I see online but I never ever look at a book and or I haven't before before querying. I've never looked at a book and thought, "Who is publishing this?" So, I know. How, yeah how how do you assume, or how do you think readers could support um, books from indie presses?
1: That's such a great question because I think that's the heart of it. I mean, I'm the mm. same way. But having said that, though, there are certain presses that do have that view want mm. of a better word, but that brand building or yes, that brand true. Um, identity, and that's something that we really do take seriously, and we're really working on it because we want we want if there is somebody out there looking for the kind of books that we publish, mm. we want them to find us.
2: Mm. So
1: we might not have the the same level of. Um, resources at some of these bigger houses but mm-hmm. you know one of the things about the you know the whole internet is it's a bit of a leveler isn't it so yeah there are yeah. inroads that we can make and um, we don't de- we definitely we have like sign up you know we've got um if you come on the website you will be asked mm-hmm. to sign up to our newsletter we've sent mm-hmm. out a newsletter and news blast you know three mm-hmm. to four times a week we have our email mailing list um and we're growing our marketing
2: mm-hmm.
1: um online and um behind the books as well because Mm -hmm. we want to reach the readers as much as you know they want to reach us so it's it's a question of um definitely doing your research and if you search for us you will find us Mm -hmm. Um, but also we are working really hard to Mm. make sure that you know when people are looking they can find us
0: yeah Um, yeah but i think that's that's a fair point that you are building a brand and it is very clear i think what the brand is with jacaranda but that you just maybe need to, um, expand it even more, yeah, but uh, exactly. that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, and the last two questions, firstly, what do you wish to see for the future of publishing? And the question I always end on is what is your favorite thing about being a publisher, founder and CEO of Jacaranda? Um,
1: I mean, for the future of publishing, I just want there to be a future of publishing. I (laughs) want there to still be people loving books. Because if you think about it, like it's a book, like, and when those of us who love books and you love to write, you know, we sort of take it for granted. Yeah, it's true. true. Yeah, we, we want to make sure that people are still loving books and still wanting to read and learn about each other you know, mm. from the from this the comfort of your own home, you know, which is definitely yeah. what happened during the pandemic. Yeah, you know, people realize that, you know, they can actually travel while they're sitting in their armchairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would hope for. But I would definitely hope to see, you know, it being no more of this hand-wringing about like who's included and who isn't. Like mm-hmm. that mm. just has to change like this just has to stop altogether. Yes. Yeah. And just an understanding of like one of the things that I've learned as a publisher, right, is so I have a, a particular kind of book that I love to read, you know, mm-hmm. just a little bit more literary. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to stick, stick with the words. So somebody that likes to play around with language, that kind of stuff, like something, mm-hmm. like I love Jeanette Winterson, like for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. and many other authors. Um, but what, the thing that I've learned is that I can't get, like every book is not going to be, even remotely, Mm. you know, a Toni Morrison or a Jeanette Mm -hmm. Wilson, and you can't, as a reader, therefore, in a publishing sense, centre yourself, like, I can't be taking these books and thinking, well, what do I want from this Mm. book, you know, I have to actually think about the sort of merits and value of the book, and who that reader might be, you know, who Mm. might be the person that would actually want to read this book,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: so that's what I think, um, okay, now I've completely lost my train of thought, like, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> you were talking
0: about what public, you, yeah, what you want to, yeah, say.
1: To, yeah, to just, just maybe not center the to get away from the center of whiteness. I guess is kind mm. of what I was trying to say. I'm not really sure if that was the point I was trying to make, but yeah, just to kind of like it be a situation of we're not talking about it, we're doing it. We, it's just a natural thing that mm-hmm. we're doing,
2: yeah,
1: um, and we're not wasting our energies trying to kind of convince people one way or the other. Um, because those people who don't want to be convinced just will never be. Yeah, like, that's the yeah. whole point, isn't it? Yes. You know, so why are we wasting our time? But And also more opportunities for more. Like, we just mm. need more Black presses, more Brown presses, more ideas around publishing and readership, mm-hmm. more collaborations, more openness, more transparencies, mm. um, more broader thinking about, you know, who the reader is and, and how to reach mm. them. Um, and those opportunities are there. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and I, yeah. So I think that, you know, um, yeah. I hope that answered the question. I'm not it sure if it did. But. No, it did.
0: It's a great <laughs> answer. And your favourite thing about being a publisher?
1: Jackaranda Books. I mean, the favourite, yeah, you know, it's all of it. It's Jacaranda. It's the people that I get to work with every day. It's mm. the books. It's the authors who I absolutely, some of them I absolutely love to pieces. <laughs> Mm. Um, it's being able to think about the fact that, you know, some days when I start my day, I'm going to open up a manuscript and read for two hours. Like, mm. that's my job, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so it's a fantastic. Joy. Yeah. Yeah, an absolute joy. Um, and you know, and that really does help with days when it's just like not so much fun and it's a bit of a slog. But yeah, yeah I'm I'm really, I love that uh, it's a uh, jackaranda. Like I just love that it's here. at this company with the kind of authors we have and the books that we have and the team that we have because Mm. we do especially when we were working together you know we'd have a lot of fun in the office you know we'd always say we have we work hard we play hard you know so Mm -hmm. we have these months in the day where we're just all sitting around we've got our coffees we've got our teas and we're just chatting you know And, and there's a certain level of you know because you know it's black women, basically. <laughs> so
2: yeah. we're just in yeah. the room,
1: like just laughing. But Jack around at the moment is not just black women, to be fair, and not just black people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a nice mix in, in the company. But I think we're all simpatico, and yeah. we all like to laugh about the same things, and we all yeah. think about the same things. And th- that that is when I have the best time at all of, of ever. You know, we're all in the office and we're all joking yeah. and laughing. And we've been able to sort of um, recreate that somewhat with the Zoom situation. But now we Mm. do have, you know, uh, we're sharing an office space in London. So the team are sort of slowly getting back together. Mm. But it's just such a great question because sometimes over the course of like remote working, you know, we have our monthly um, team meeting and it just would make me so happy when Mm. I open up the Zoom and I see all these faces on (laughs) Zoom, you know, like, oh,
0: there they all are. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. Uh, it must
0: be even better now that everyone's coming back in, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much. I know exactly how busy you are. <laughs> thank you for persisting so through all the technical <laughs> issues and speaking and I to apologize me. For all no, of it. please <laughs> don't. I'm so I'm so I'm going to turn my video on, but I'm so um. grateful um to have spoken to you and um I know that the listeners will get so much out of this because I think as someone who's just gone through and taken risks from the get-go and done what you've done, and it's only been 10 years of this... I mean, it's inspiring to say the least. So thank you so much.
1: Well, I'm so pleased that you asked me and I really have enjoyed it.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sreka Tanendra and Tharaman, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense.